right. Well, welcome tonight, and it's good to see you, and I'm sure some others will be joining us tonight. Um, let's, uh, we're in Experiencing God. If you don't know what book we're in, we're in Experiencing God, and, and uh, we hopefully will all experience God. Amen? Amen. Uh, so let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll jump into our study tonight. Father, as we begin our study, we know that um, not only do we know it from what we've studied tonight, but we know it, God, from a real-life experience. That is, that you pursue a love relationship with us. And many times, Father, we don't, we don't see you in the pursuit phase. We see you more in settling back and waiting for us to do something or to love you so that you can then commend us or approve us. But, Father, just the opposite is the case. You're constantly in the pursuit of this relationship, of making it deeper and making it richer, making it more powerful. So we pray, God, that you might really, really just guide us in this journey uh, that we have today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I was standing in my, uh, in my bedroom, and I was reflecting. This has been several months ago. Maybe it was probably last year more I think about it. I was just reflecting on um, the way I felt that God felt about me. And I thought, how does God feel about me? And as I kind of pursued that thought, and I began to see myself how I thought God saw me and how God felt about me, I felt isolated. I didn't feel fully embraced by God. I really didn't. And I didn't know why. I was trying to put my hand around that. Why don't I feel that, God? Because I don't doubt it in my mind that God loves me and God wants to pursue a deep relationship with me, but I, I felt somehow separated from God, isolated from God uh, in, in a way, and I didn't understand it. And I was, I, as I was just standing there, I really I just stood there for I don't know how long. You know, it felt like you know, an hour. It's probably five minutes, but it felt like an hour. And as I, as I rolled that over my head, um, the word abandoned came to me. I felt abandoned by God. And I, and I realized I had felt it my whole Christian life. It wasn't new. It wasn't because of a circumstance or an event. It wasn't because of anything anybody said or I read. It wasn't because of world crisis. I felt a sense of abandonment by God. And I, and I stood there and I was just praying, God, I don't understand why do I feel this way? And instantly it was like the Spirit of God flashed in my mind. He said, you felt abandoned by your father. That's what hit me. It just hit me. And I thought, well, I, I, I wasn't abandoned by my father. My dad loved me. I mean, he never was, you know, cruel to me. He never spoke evil to me. I mean, he was, uh, you know, I mean, he, was, he was, came home every night when, you know, except when he was off to, to play army. I mean, he was, he was just there. And it just, all the things, start, things started just dominoing in my mind, dominoing. I just started to see him, and I realized you know, when I was in second grade, my dad left for an assignment in the military, and he was gone for two years. I didn't see him for two years. And didn't really hear much from him either, honestly. He was in a foreign country doing I don't know what, you know, whatever he did in his field. And, and so as I look back, I really have no conscious memory of second and third grade at all. I don't have a friend. I don't have a classroom. I don't have a teacher. Um, I did have, which was really neat, 
an old guy that lived next door. He was actually in World War I, and he kind of became the surrogate dad for me. But, uh, but he kind of played that role. And as I got back, I, I think what was really happening to me, and I didn't know it at the time, was I was also shaping my concept of a heavenly father, even though I wasn't a Christian. I was shaping in my mind what I thought God was like. There's a little warm in here. I turned the air off because it was a little cold, so we can turn it. I see you fanning like crazy. I want to make sure. Oh, it's just you. Okay. All right. Um, if, you get, if it gets warm in here other than her, raise your hand, okay? Um, but anyway, I was shaping my idea of what I thought God was like. And so here's what I, here's what I put together. I put together in my mind, apparently as a small child, well, God um, is like my dad, and God can go on a journey and not communicate with me very much. Therefore, he's like my dad, and my dad is like my, is, is like my father, my God. Now, that's pretty complex. That wasn't something that was happening in third grade. Well, I was talking to a guy the other day who, who's done a lot of research in the brain, and he asked me a question. I, I told him that story, but I didn't tell him how old I was. He said, let me guess, you were probably eight or nine years old. And I said, why do you say that? He said, well, what happens in the development of the brain is that somewhere around eight and nine years old, all of a sudden, there's a, there's, a, there's a dynamic that happens in your brain that begins to kick in memory into the areas where things hurt you the most. And this guy began to tell me this story about how many people he knew clinically who in third, second, third, and fourth grade, in that little window, how some of the most tragic moments happened that they remember. They remember that period of time. They remember something difficult about that period of time versus another period of time where something maybe even worse happened, but it didn't affect them because it was the way the brain was actually developing at that particular time. Well, when I heard that, my first thought was, and I haven't done it yet, my first thought was, I need to talk to Donna, our children's director. Donna, we need to put something in place in the life and ministry of children between second and fourth grade to overcome some of those things. Okay, so that's just kind of an interesting side note about that age frame. But think about this. I, in some way, shape my concept of love for the Father during that period in my life. And because I then became a Christian in 19, it didn't make that go away. I still shaped it. You know, we talk about kids and how they, how, how, what, 80% of what you will ever know you learn by the time you're, what, in third or fourth or fifth grade, something like that. I mean, there, there's those concepts. Okay, now put that in place. Now let's, now let's think about this. Take your Bible, open the book of Deuteronomy, okay? Deuteronomy, and I'm just going to take you, we're going to look back and forth in, tonight in the book of Deuteronomy, but I want you to look at chapter 30, first of all, chapter 30 in verse uh, uh, four, first of all, and we know the the great uh, the great commandment that God gives to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. We know that that as we begin to think about what God does, God God is this God that that understands how we work physically, spiritually, mentally, right? So, what does He tell Israel to do? 
when he began when they began to tell re, retell the story of the Passover later on we'll see that he says when your little ones rise up what do you do you tell them about God and his great works at noontime what do you do you tell them about God and his great works when they go to bed what do you do you tell them about God and his great works why because God knows the spiritual mental physical every dimension of 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 how we're made and how things work best so so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back. I'm going to come back to the dad's story and show you how I kind of tried to retrace some of that. And I think it's an ongoing process, by the way. But look what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. <clears throat> we all there? Deuteronomy 6, 4. Oh, well, I'll come to 30 next. How about that? Yeah, 30 is a good one, too. All right. Deuteronomy chapter uh, third, uh, chapter six. I did probably say thirty. Now I'm, I'm hearing myself say it. Chapter six and verse four. Okay, got it. Okay, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. And these words, uh, <clears throat> which I command you today, shall be in your heart. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk in the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign upon your hand. They shall be as frontlets uh, between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So God says, this is what I want you to remember. I want you to remember, I want you to hear this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you're going to love him with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. Okay, got that story? Okay, now let me read. Uh, some of you have also picked up the book, okay? It's a, it's a great compliment to it. I'd never read the book before. Uh, the workbook, I'd done the, uh, this a couple of times through it now. But I want to just read something to you because I thought this was so good. And you don't mind if I read a little bit? Is that okay? All right, I'll try to get it right. Um. This is on page 80 if you happen to have the book and you want to follow along with me. Uh, your love for God and your obedience to his commandments go hand in hand. Jesus declared, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. When you obey Jesus, you demonstrate that you trust him. Obedience is the outward expression of your love for God. Jesus set an example in his life. He said, I'm going away so the world may know that I love the Father just as the Father commanded me to do. So do I. Jesus demonstrated his love for the Father by obedience. Obeying God out of love does not merely mean following the letter of the law. It also includes obedience to the spirit of the law. If you have an obedience problem, you have a love problem. Focus your attention on God's love. Could you stand before God and describe your relationship to him by saying, I love you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, all of my mind, and all of my strength? Jesus said he would take those who respond to his love into an ever-deepening experience of love and fellowship with him. Okay, now just keep that in mind. If you were asked, and this is a question that's asked, it follows right along. This is uh, uh, unit three. This is, you know, chapter seven. They kind of go in, in sync together. If you were asked, can you describe your relationship to him by saying, I love you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, and with all of my strength? Now, let's illustrate. One of our church members was suffering chronic difficulties in his personal life, in his family, uh, in, at work, and at church. 
One evening during a church business meeting, he grew so furious at the decisions being made that he angrily declared he was resigning all of his offices in the church. He then stormed out of the building in the middle of the meeting. Later that week, I went to see him and asked, can you describe your relationship with God by sincerely saying, I love you with all of my heart? Come on in, guys. Welcome. As we talked, I learned that he never felt that his father loved him. His dad had constantly criticized him. Nothing he did ever measured up to the father's impossibly high standards. And as often happens, he, he had grown up to view God just like his earthly father. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Even as a man continued to be angry and hurt at the rejection of his earthly father, he also had anger and confusion in his life because of his estrangement from God. Everything in his life was out of order because God's basic purpose for his life was missing. That basic purpose was that I was designed to be loved by God. You were designed to be loved by God and God to love you. And whenever, we, whenever we, we miss out on that divine purpose, we always come into that place of doing something for God. Meaning what we say is, well, uh, sure I love God, look what I do for him. Well, sure I love God, look how I serve God. Instead of understanding, no, my basic purpose is to, to know that God designed me to be loved. Think about, think about how critical the scripture is. We always want to run it to salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It doesn't say for God so loved the world because a bunch of people did some really cool stuff for God. Kind of expect it. Even if you get it right at salvation in terms of that love relationship, we tend to get it wrong later on because we tend to evaluate our our success, so to speak, as a Christian, is what we do for God instead of just being loved by God. So, let me just read a little bit more. Sadly, this man is like many other people who have regularly attended church all their lives. They are respected members of the congregation. They serve in leadership positions, but when pressed, they would admit they do not love God. They serve him. They worship him. They believe in him. They fear him. But the relationship with God is not characterized by genuine heartfelt love. God created us for a love relationship with him. When you're not living your life in the overflow of God's love and your love for him, then you cannot live out the Christian life um, as it is intended to be lived. If you cannot describe your relationship with God by saying that you love him with all of your being, then before you do anything else, you need to entreat the Holy Spirit to bring you into that kind of relationship today. Now let me go back to my story. For those of you who, who came in a little bit after this story, I'll just kind of repeat a, a little bit of it. I was standing in my bedroom, and I was reflecting on why I felt abandoned by God. This is probably sometime last year. And it was like the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, your abandonment is based on the way that you view your father or you, you're, you think your father views you. Because my dad was gone for two years in the military. I didn't see him, didn't hear from him. And, and I, at that kind of that, that tentative uh, early age of, you know, third and fourth grade, I, I didn't know how to process that. So I formed my concept or my view of God around my view of my father. 
So here's what I had to do to undo some of that. And I say some of that because I can't undo all of that. I had to come back to a basic understanding is what does it mean to be loved by God? What does it mean to be loved by God? What does it mean to be loved by God? And when I began to do that, I began to say, God, here's what I literally did. I said, God, I don't feel loved by you. I know you love me, right? I don't feel loved by you at certain times in my life. And so, God, what I want to do is I want to get rid of that. I want to, I want to reject that. And so I had to go back, and basically what I had to do, go, do was go back to that experience in second and third grade when I, I felt abandoned by my dad and say, um, Jesus, would you stand next to me as I talk to my dad? And I literally kind of went back in my mind, and maybe you've heard me do this a couple of times, but it was just so powerful. I went back, and I found myself standing there as a little third or fourth grader uh, with Jesus' arm around me, and my dad's in front of me. And my dad, of course, would have no awareness of this. My dad was not a bad dad. He was a great dad. He never intended that. It was probably just the way life went for him. And I said, Dad, I felt abandoned by you when you went to Germany for two years, and I didn't know where you were, what you were doing, and I didn't hear from you. And then you just stop and you just pray a little bit. Just stop and you think about it and you go and ask yourself this. What do you think, why do you think your dad was like that? And of course, immediately the Holy Spirit said probably that was the pattern of his dad. You know, he didn't know how to really show love, give love, hold, embrace, whatever, right? Because it was never intended pattern in my dad. It just was a consequence in me. And then, then I heard Jesus say, now, can you forgive your dad? And I, and I said, Father, Dad, I forgive you, uh, not for anything you really did intentionally, but I felt abandoned. And when, we, when you, when you kind of go through a little process like that where you can kind of trace it back to some experience in your life, then you can start filling it up with the right stuff. And so... I then said, Father, my dad, I said, I know, I know that you probably felt abandoned too, and I want you to know that you're loved by the Father completely. And then I took and I went to this point. I said, uh, I said, Jesus, I need you now. I just want to take all of the abandonment feeling I had from my Father, and I want to cast it away from me. And in its place, I want to feel your love. I want to feel your acceptance. When I don't feel accepted, I want to feel that. And I want to make sure that the enemy doesn't try to trip me up again. So I want to put a cross in between me and that feeling. And every time that feeling tries to come back into my life, I want the cross to be that, that turning point in my life. You see? So what you have to do is you have to, sometimes you have to get rid of some stuff before you can really embrace some stuff. Because I, what I was doing, I mean, here I am a pastor. Here I am, been a Christian a lot of years. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to love God, feel loved by God, but I'm, but I'm almost just, I never fully feel it. Until I took some steps to say, I need to feel that you love me anyway. You need to love me all the time. You need to love me not because I'm, I'm always good, because I, I'm not. You need to love me not because I, you know, of any other reason other than just the pure love of God. This particular section in this workbook is really about this idea that God is the pursuer of you. 
He pursues you in a love relationship versus kind of the, let's call it the sermon kind of series. You need to love God more. If you love God more, why, you'd be at church more often. If you love God more, you'd give more. If you love God more, you'd go witness. If you love God more, you'd pray more. If you love God more, and on and on and on the list goes. But what if you flip that around and said, God is so pursuing a love relationship with me that I cannot resist it. Now I don't do things to earn his love. What I do is I accept his love, and I, if he loves me that much, how do I, what do I do? What's my expression of that love? It, well, it's love, right? If he's loving me, what, I, what he sows into me, what do I do? I give back the same stuff. I give back love. Now I can love somebody when I didn't want to love them. Because really, I understand it. He loved me, and there was not a basis for love for me. Just pure love. Just pure love. So the, the demonstration of that, of course, was where? What was the greatest demonstration of God's love for us? It was a cross, wasn't it? It was absolutely the cross. So if you're in your workbook, um, you can turn on page, uh, let's just take a look over in page 52. 52. And I want you to look at um, I want you to look over here on page 53, actually. And here's kind of that little setup for that story in the top of the page. And look at number four. If you need to or are willing, pause now and ask the Holy Spirit to bring into, uh, into a wholehearted love relationship with God. Spend time in prayer expressing your love for God. Thank him for the ways he has shown his love for you. Be specific by naming what God has done. You may want to list some of the ways in a margin. Praise him for his loving kindness. And here's a scripture, Deuteronomy, right? Okay, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to just turn to somebody that you're sitting next to, and I want you to basically go into this question. I want somebody to, one of you start and say, can you describe your relationship with God by, sudden, by sincerely saying, I love you with all my heart? Okay? All right, so just go ahead and take a moment and do that. Just ask the other person the question and let them answer in whatever way they want. Just They give you a short or long answer, okay? And if the answer is yes, you can do better, okay?
Crystal. You know what I love about these moments is you really look like you're enjoying it. Now, you may have got off topic, all right? That's okay. I mean, you got off topic, you answered the question, and now you're just fellowshipping. That's okay, all right? Okay, I'm going to give you about, about two more seconds. Okay, good. Um, did everybody finish? Everybody get a chance to, to do that? Not yet? Okay, I'll, I'll give you one more, one more minute or two, okay? Let me do that. One more minute or two. Those of you who just walked in, uh, you can open your workbook to page 53 and your Bible to the book of Deuteronomy, okay? Deuteronomy. All right, now take your Bible. You, you should still have them open there to the book of Deuteronomy. We're going to go to chapter 30 and verse 6. Chapter 30 and verse 6 of the book of Deuteronomy, okay? Uh, I don't know what page in your Bible. 184 in mine. <laughs> Good job, Lisa. Uh, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30. I can't believe I'm having to tell a Jewish woman where the book of Deuteronomy is, right? That's all right, Lisa. That's all right. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 6. Listen to what it says. Okay? And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your, uh, that you may live. Uh, okay, so let's just stop there. So here's what God says he's going to do. He's going to do something unusual, and he's going to do it to your heart. He said, the Lord your God is going to circumcise your heart. Now, we, we're familiar with uh, circumcision when it comes to the physical uh, body. But he's saying, no, I'm going to cut something away from your heart. When I cut this something away from your heart, it's going to give you the capacity to love God. You see how that works? Because remember, physical circumcision for the Old Testament was a sign of a covenant relationship with God. So it was only a symbol of something that had to take place deeper inside of us, right? It's kind of like what Jeremiah says. God is going to take out your, your heart of stone, and he's going to give you a heart that a flesh that can love the Lord your God. So think about it like this. God says, I'm going to perform a surgery on you, okay? I'm going to do heart surgery, but the heart surgery is not of the physical nature. It's of the spiritual nature. So if I can cut away something from your heart in the spiritual dimension, what I do is I then give you the capacity to love me with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all your soul and all your strength. Because if I don't do that, then you're always going to be struggling with this idea of how do I love God or does God love me? Here's what I believe. I believe the work of circumcision of the heart, first of all, is something only God can do. 
I think secondly, and this is kind of an interesting idea that I've come up with, I believe that though it happens at salvation, I believe there are always further works that God is going to do of removing from us the things that keep us from really receiving his love. You see how that works? So that I love, I can say I love God right now with all my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength, but if God does a deeper work in me, I love him more tomorrow than I love him today. It's not time that gets me there. It's a, it's a deeper work of God. So God has to cut away things in me to give me the capacity to receive his love, not just give his love. The things that God has to cut away in me, I may not even know. I may not know what they are. God may not reveal those to me now. I'd say, well, I wish he'd just tell me. I'd get it over with. One surgery, I'm done. Right? I mean, isn't that kind of the idea? Or like trials. Give them all to me before 18. Be done with it. I'm moving on with life. But you see, God understands the natural maturity process, not only in the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm. There's something that God can only do in your life tomorrow. He can't do it today. There's some revelation of God that you can only have today that you can't have tomorrow. And, that there, and then there's increased capacity for revelation tomorrow that you, you weren't able, ready to receive today. So here's, here's, here's my thought. And, and again, I'm, I'm kind of probing in this, trying to understand this myself. But here's what I believe. I believe that when we come to God and say, God, there are some things in my life, some deeper cuts that you need to make in my heart so that I have a greater capacity to understand how much you love me. God, will you reveal those to me? Would you start trimming those things away out of my heart? Sometimes those things in our life, other people have pointed out to us. Have you ever had somebody point out a, a, a fault in you and you got mad? Right? I mean, really? Well, who do you think you are? I got the Holy Spirit. Don't worry about me. I'm fine. Now, you may not say that, but deep down, you're kind of thinking some of those thoughts, right? But, but then maybe you go down. Maybe it's a year later. Maybe it's five years later. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit does something. He brings something up, and he shows you something, and you go, this was that. This was that. Somebody saw it in me. I couldn't see it in me. In fact, it was so, um, it, it was so um, foreign to my way of thinking that what was wrong with me that I couldn't even put my arms around it. Now I know. Now I see it. You know? Now I really do see what, what they were saying. God, would you remove that from me? And all of a sudden, what do I do? I grow in my understanding, first of all, of how much God loves me. See, I don't think we can grow in our love for him until we grow in our love uh, of, of his love for us. The more I begin to see this, the more I can begin to do this. Does that make sense? So what do I do with this, with this circumcision of the heart? Here's just kind of a recommended thing you might do, and you're probably already doing it in your head right now. You're probably saying, God, there's got to be some stuff in there, and maybe that's why I don't feel the love, you know. Um, God, would you just, sh- first of all, would you show me if there's anything that needs to be cut away? God, would you cut away? anything that needs to be cut away in my heart. Because what I want to do is I want, I want, th- I want it coming this way more powerful. 
And that's a little bit counterintuitive. We typically think, well, if I'm a Christian, of course I love God. But maybe I'm not receiving enough love, therefore I can't give enough love. I told a story last night in men's Bible study, and a few of you guys were there, so I'm going to repeat it if you don't mind. I told a story about when I first became a Christian, I was really kind of this fiery evangelist and, and, uh, and had zero, zero, okay, when it comes down to um, tact, okay? Zero. I mean, if you think I have no tact now, I had zero tact, Okay? And I, and I had a little New Testament, good news for a modern man, if you remember that little paperback, it had little cool drawings in it, little line drawings, stick figures and stuff, and, and I'd read it through four times the first month. By the way, if you're cold, that's going to go off in five minutes, because we have this Cadillac air conditioning system that allows us to put it on for 15 minutes, we're going to cool you down, baste you up a little bit, then cool you back down, okay? It's awesome, all right? Or we can leave it on the whole time, either way, but it's awesome, right? Because some of you are putting coats on and some of you are still fanning. So forget it. This crowd is just too crazy to, to please, right? Um, okay, where was, where was I at now before I got off? Okay, so, so I come home and my parents are, they're sitting there uh, in, the, in their living room. And my parents had already, were already convinced that, you know, I was in a cult, because my parents were not Christians. They were convinced I was in a cult. I mean, here's this guy that used to be normal. You know, he'd, he'd go out, stay out late, get in trouble, drink beer, get drunk, you know, play football. That was normal. That's what that kid is supposed to do. Now this kid is going to Bible studies. He's going out witnessing. You know, he wants to go to church morning, noon, and night. He is in a cult. So I come home. And I've got my little Bible. Where have you been? I've been to a Bible study. Another Bible study? I said, yeah, another Bible study. And, and so uh, I said, you know, you don't believe the Bible, do you? Oh, yeah, 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 we believe the Bible. I said, you don't believe the Bible. And I opened up my little Bible, and I read a scripture. I said, do you believe that? And, you know, they're like, he is in a cult, right? And I reached in there, and I tore the page of that Bible out. I crumbled it up, and I threw it in their lap. I read another verse did the same thing, tore out four pages. And then I said, now we're getting closer to a Bible that you can believe, one without all these pages in it. Yeah, I know, it wasn't, I, I, I do not, do not try this at home, okay? I do not try this at home. And you know, and it was, it was just, I was so passionate for evangelism, so passionate for people, and, and, and you know, and, but I didn't have any technique, didn't have anybody to guide me, didn't have anybody to train me, I didn't, nobody led me to Christ, I found Christ on my own, nobody ever tried to witness to me, even to this day, no one's ever tried to witness to me. There's always a joker in a group like this who'll come up afterwards, hey, can I tell you about salvation? Doesn't count. And so now fast forward, years go by, I go to seminary, we're pastoring in our first full-time church, and I get a call from my dad. Now this is five to seven years later probably. I get a phone call from my dad, and uh, my dad says, hey, I've got good news for you. And I said, really, what is it? He said, your mom and I both got baptized today. And I said, what? What do you mean you got baptized? Yeah, we, well, we've been going to this church, we got saved, and we got baptized today. And I said, why didn't you tell me? They said, we didn't want you to think that we were doing it because you were a pastor. We started going to church, we started going to Bible study, we started listening, we started learning, and we received Christ, and we got baptized today, and I wanted you to tell. And I said, Dad, how did all this come about? Here's what he said. 
He said, do you remember when you came into the living room and you tore pages out of that Bible? I said, you know, I'm ashamed. I really was. I was ashamed. And he said, and I said, yes, sir, I do. He said, I never forgot that. He said, it haunted me till I finally had to do something about it. And, and God used something really, really just stupid, honestly, and technique-wise to touch his heart and brought him to the love of God. To brought him to love. Think about that. My dad at the time was 75. He was 50 when he had me. It was, he was 75 years old when he got baptized, professed faith in Christ. And what he found was he found the love of God for all those years. Found out that God was pursuing a love relationship with him. And once you understand that, then you can understand how I love God. I love myself and I love others. Isn't that what he said the great command is? What is the great commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart. How do I do that if I don't know he loves me? You ever tried to love somebody that doesn't love you? I mean, it's hard to do, right? You just keep loving them, keep loving them, keep loving them. Then I don't love you. They might even say I don't even like you. Don't even want to talk to you. I don't love you. I no. You see, it's it's and and the thing is when we start to feel this overflowing love of God coming this way, now I can say, you know what, I must be worth something because God loves me that much. Then I look at people around me and I say they must be worth something because God loves them too. So this is so critical and so important. Now, if you've still got your Bible open to Deuteronomy chapter 30, this would be page 185 for you, Lisa. Okay? If you're using the same Bible. Okay, look at, um, look at verse 15, if you would. See, I have set before you today life and good, and death, and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you go in to possess. Okay, he says to you, I'm going to put before you love. Do you want it? I'm going to put before you life. Do you want it? I'm going to put before you good. Do you want it? I'm going to put all these things before you, but I'm also going to put before you. This is an interesting thing. God says, I'm also going to put death and evil in front of you, and I get, you get to choose. See, what happens is, what happens is that God gives you the capacity and the ability to choose either path you want to take. Sometimes what God will do is he'll step back and say, you know what, why don't you try that path for a little while, see how it works. You ever, you ever had that phrase said to you, and so you somebody's telling you they're, all the bad stuff's going on in their life, and then you say, well, how's that working for you? Right? That's what God does. How's that working for you? You realize that sometimes God allows you that freedom so that you go on that path so that you begin to understand how much he loves you. How much she loves you. My mom had a little uh, little uh, ring that my dad had given her. It, it really was little. I mean, it was, you know, it was far better, you know, I mean, it was far smaller than it should have been, and my dad had never upgraded, right? They'd been married a lot of years. And my mom used to say, look at that little ring, and she'd make fun of it, you know, and she'd go out in the sun and say, hold on, hold still. <laughs> See if I can get a little glimmer out of it. 
right? And what would you deduce from that? What would you think that uh, her concept of that ring was? You didn't love me that much. What else? He was cheap, right? What else? Huh? What's that? She wasn't worth more. Okay. He was Dutch. Good. Yeah, good point. Good point. What else? Anything else? Okay. Can I show you how what changed everything? She lost it. Not intentionally, by the way. She lost it. She was sick. She was sick to her to her stomach trying to find that ring. She I remember the first place she went was with a flashlight looking down the garbage disposal. She thought maybe I was washing and it slipped off my finger went down in there, not there. Countertops, under the sink. I mean, you, you anywhere, I mean, I was looking everywhere, right, for this ring. What changed? She loved, she loved it more than she thought, she, when she, but she couldn't appreciate it until she what? Until she lost it. How many, how many parables in Scripture are there about that? Luke chapter 15. There's really a threefold parable there, isn't it? It's a parable of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. They're all together. It's a trilogy of parables, isn't it? And so here's a woman who loses a coin. Remember that story? Loses a coin, and what does she do? She sweeps the floor until she what? Finds it, then she rejoices. What's a big deal on the coin? Anybody know? That wasn't just a coin. Only had a few, but there was something even more significant about that coin. Because, see, she talks in that parable about being ashamed because she lost the coin. It was a coin that was given at her wedding. And they would string them together and they would put them around their head. A missing coin meant that she'd been unfaithful to her husband. It was lost in disgraced. It was lost in dirtiness of the dirty floor. When she found it, she regained her dignity. Lost sheep. You got 99. What's a big deal? One more lamb chop. It's a big deal. What does he do? He goes out. He, he pursues the lost sheep. When he finds it, he brings it back and he rejoices. Story is told that shepherds, oftentimes when they had a sheep that would often go astray, would break the leg of the sheep. They'd reset it, and then they'd carry it on their neck until it healed, putting it down only periodically so it could gain strength. So what kind of love is that? I mean, you know, poor little sheep, he just wanted to see the world. That was a problem. So what does God do? He breaks something, resets it, so that you know what you really need. Then you got a lost son. Same thing, right? Why do you want to go get that guy? He took and, you know, spent all, you, all his inheritance. He did it. He wasted it all away. Even the older brother was upset. Remember that? He, he didn't even call him his brother. He said, this son of yours who spent all of his inheritance in riotous living has now come back and you put a ring on his finger, a robe on his back, and shoes on his feet, and you kill the fatted 
uh, calf, and you never even got a billy goat for me to have for dinner. Now watch this. This is powerful. The father says to the older brother three things. Here's what he says. Son, better write this down. This is going to be good. I promise you this is going to be good. He says, son. Next to the word son, write this. Never forget whose child you are. See, he had sonship. The younger, the younger brother didn't understand sonship until he got and lost everything, right? He had sonship. Son. Second thing he says to him, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. Never forget your inheritance. Everything I have is yours. Third thing he says to him, and I have been with you always. I have been with you always. Never forget the Father. So God takes these three parables that most people want to make about just seeing people come to faith in Christ, but he's really teaching parables of love, isn't he? Of love. And what God restores back when we feel he doesn't love us, he restores back that dignity, the woman who lost the coin. He restores back in the sheep that worth, and he restores back into the younger brother the concept of sonship let's rejoice this is my son that was what lost what did he lose he lost the love of the father he lost relationship wow you know what the father says you know this guy spent everything he had he come home he's he's you know and and what motivated him was he was so hungry remember he was in the in the sheep pen and or the hog pen and he finally, a Jewish boy in the hog pen, he said, I just wish I could eat what the pigs are eating. The guy that owns the pigs won't even let me eat that good stuff. He says he came to his senses, and he determined he would return and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. He couldn't even get the words out of his mouth when the father threw his arms around him and says, this is my son that was lost and now is found. Put a robe on his back, ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, kill the fatted calf. Let's be rejoice and be merry. See, that's the pursuing love of God. How do you think? The story doesn't end there. You kind of want, can we get chapter two? But how do you think then the younger son lived out the rest of his days? I'm going to tell you, I believe that unless that older brother came to his senses, he never did really fully appreciate the love of his father. He never really did. In your, uh, in your book, if you're looking uh, in your workbook, um, look with me. This will be at the bottom of page 53, and I just, wanna, just want us to look at a couple of scriptures here. And I want you to do this. Again, you've got somebody sitting next to you, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a little ec- one more exercise, get you talking, keep you awake. Keep you alive, all right? Okay, so notice there, this is an exercise. Some of you may have done it, but here's the exercise. 
Number five, read the following scriptures. Describe a love relationship with God. Read and circle the love, uh, the, the word love or any form of it such as loves each time it appears. Okay? I want to expand that a little bit. I want you to, not only the word love or loves, I want you to any concept of love that you see in there. For example, here's what I did. For God so loved, I circled that one, that he gave. I circled the word gave. It's kind of a, isn't it giving kind of an act of love? Hey, here, can I give this to you? Oh, that's kind of a nice thing. Thank you for loving me. Okay, so I want you just to take a minute, do John 3.16, flip the page, and do the next three scriptures there. John 14, Romans 8, 1 John 3, 1 John 4. Okay, I'll give you a couple of minutes to do that with your, with your partner, okay, with whoever's sitting next to you. One, two. Okay, I'm dividing you two up. You're in this together. It's a conspiracy. You got the same last name, okay? All right. All right, let's just that way, right? Got it? Okay. Just make this thing work. If you got three, if it ends up with three at the end, do three, okay? So you got, you got about two, three minutes to do this, all right? And I'm going to go grab a glass of water because I'm thirsty, okay? <laughs> 